Hi, I'm Angela. I'm the Advice Service and Policy Manager here at Business Disability Forum and welcome to this podcast for World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think or let us know if you have any questions. You can contact us by calling us on 0207 403 3020. You can email us at media at businessdisabilityforum.org.uk and you can also tweet us. Our Twitter handle is at disabilitysmart. So today I'm joined in the BDF studio by Christopher Watkins. Chris, tell us what you do here at BDF. Thank you, Ange. Um, my name is Chris. Um, I am a senior consultant in the specialist solutions team here, uh, which tells you very little about what I do, really. So just to kind of outline that, I'd say broadly speaking, I do three things. Um, the thing that probably takes up most of my time is I run our uh, L&D team here at BDF, um, delivering training for our members and, and clients and, and quite possibly some of the people listening in today. Um, secondly, I act as a strategic advisor for a number of BDF partners. Hopefully some of those are also listening today. Hello. Uh, but the bit that's kind of relevant to what we're talking about today is uh, that I specialise in mental health at work. That's lovely and absolutely ideal for the topic of World Mental Health Day this year, which is mental health at work. I'm going to be asking you a few questions and we're going to discuss um, this topic, which is one of the top four subjects that we get asked about here at BDF um, in terms of the calls that come through to our advice service. And as you've just mentioned, there are, um, there's a lot of work you do in the L&D function on mental health at work. So first of all, I mean, the, the, one of the key things I'm interested in discussing with you, Chris, um, as advisors and consultants at BDF, one of the key topics we're asked about is about how, how do we as employers promote a mentally healthy workplace. And this term, a mentally healthy workplace, comes up quite a lot. When I'm doing policy reviews, I see it in policies. If I'm looking at wellbeing strategies, I see that phrase there as well. So mentally healthy workplace, what does that mean, Chris? And when employers are thinking about that, what, what, do, they need to, what do they need to remember? What are the things they need to think about? Well, there's two questions there. I mean, the, f the first one, mentally healthy workplace, what does that mean? I'm possibly going to put my job at risk by saying this, but I have absolutely no idea at okay. all. Um, and that doesn't mean it's a bad question, but I'm, I'm very conscious working with lots of different organisations that people use that phrase to mean very different things in very different contexts. Um, and I think, you know, it's a broader issue really, but around a lot of the mental health agenda, language is still developing and people are, lots of people are using the same words to refer to different things. Um, I think the big challenge we've got is that what is healthy, mentally or physically, is something that varies from person to person. Um, and I don't think you can have a kind of ideal setup, an ideal way of working, which absolutely works for everyone. I mean, mm. that is almost by definition kind of counter-inclusive, mm -hmm. I, I, I suppose. Mm. I think it's much easier in some ways to point to stuff which we can say with some confidence is mentally unhealthy. So, you know, excessive working hours, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that is bad for you. Um, 
certain environmental factors. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that you know if, if, you, if you work permanently in a basement with no natural light, that does have an effect on you. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will be aware that there's, there's a lot of research into the way in which daylight in particular can affect people's moods. Um, it's often cited, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's often cited as a reason that uh, suicide rates in, in the north of Sweden are, are so much higher than the rest of the world. Mm. So perhaps a mentally healthy workplace is avoiding those things, but then, you know, d- depending on, on how grumpy I am that day, I, I can be <laughs> sceptical about some of that. I mean, picking working hours, for example. Working excessive hours is not good for people, but what is excessive hours? I mean, I think that we're in danger of suggesting that the kind of nine to five, eight hour days, five days a week is the thing that everyone should do because that's the right thing. And actually that's that's nonsense, really. I mean, where does that eight-hour-a-day figure come from? Well, it comes from the Industrial Revolution mm. when people were working in shifts for the first time. And the reason that we work eight-hour days is because it divides neatly into 24. Yeah. Now, I don't think that is... Um, I mean, it's, it's not an evidence-based way of, of organising work in a way that is healthy for people. And I think, you know, we all know people... Sometimes we pretend they don't exist, but we all know people who might now be in their 50s or 60s who have worked 70-hour weeks their entire life and are perfectly healthy and who are we Mm. to tell them that they shouldn't have done that um Mm. some people thrive on working in some ways some people work much more effectively if they're working four hours a day for example yeah i think that's i think that's really important especially as the um, workplace inclusion agenda has has really developed over the especially the last sort of i was going to say a couple of years but increasingly over sort of the last five years i've seen it change and and what you said about um, different working patterns and we have this idea that um you know don't work over your usual sort of and i'm doing air quotes nine till five Mm. hours because that's you know we sometimes see that as not a air quotes again healthy thing to do when in fact a lot of we get an increasing amount of calls to the advice service with line managers saying, I've got an employee and they like to work long days, yet our well-being policies are saying, don't work long days, make sure you go home on time. Mm. So there, from what, I mean, you, you said it yourself just then about what, what becomes inclusive is recognising that people are, are different and will mm. want to work in different ways. And, and what is sort of, again, air quotes, healthy for, for one person will, will just be very different to yeah. it. Um, to another person and you use the word what is healthy varies from person to person and I, as you were speaking reminded me that that also I think healthy can vary from what is mentally healthy can vary from situation to situation as well mm. so I've got another question um, for you which is well really a situation that um, perhaps I'm, I'm interested for your thoughts on now as you know um, I've always been scared of flying really terrified of flying and this weekend I went on a fear of flying course now usually um, if, if you were to get me on a plane I would have a panic attack I would I, I, I just I hate I've hated flying um, I'd get very anxious my breathing would start to go I'd go into a panic attack someone would need to calm me down mm. so and, and that's a that's a situation where I'm I mean on a day-to-day basis, that's not usual behaviour for me. But yeah. give me that situation, and 
am I am I mentally unwell? Mm. And I think um, when I went into this flying course with some sort of fear of flying course um, with some 150 other people, we were all fine. And when um, we were given a picture of a plane or uh, we were told we were going to go on a flight, pe- everyone's behaviour in that room changed. Mm. And that was a very anxious, panicky room. Sounds like a great way to spend a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that in that room, people in that room may or may not have, have mental health conditions, but put us in a in a specific situation and 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 I am not well so mm. what, so can you expand on what's going on there and what sort of the, what mental health is in those different types of situations it's interesting isn't it because I think some sometimes we think about mental health we, we think about people there's there's a lot of talk these days about mental health being spectrum and I think mm. the problem well, in, in some ways that's very useful because it emphasises the point actually mental health is, is something that we all have and we all have a mental health status, if you like. But the problem with spectrum is it's not linear and yeah. it's, it sometimes seems to be simplified to the point where people are either, you know, mentally healthy and happy or mentally not healthy and yeah. depressed. And it doesn't work like that at all. And actually, I'm possibly going off topic here, but, but you know, for someone with schizophrenia, it comes under this umbrella of mental health, but is a completely different kind of set of experiences. Uh, for someone with an anxiety disorder as well, that's, that's just very different from being depressed. Um, I think there's... I think... To bring back to the workplace, I think one, one, of, one of the interesting questions is to what extent do you uh, try and, in inverted commas, treat this like your flying course... Or to what extent do you just try to avoid being in that situation? Now, if it's if it's flying, uh, if you want to travel around the world, um, there's not really many practical alternatives. So that that might be something that you want to confront head on. Mm. But uh, choose a, a personal example. I'm I'm not good with crowds, confined spaces, and noise. Mm. And what that means in practice is that I just don't take a tube. Yeah. But I was talking to um, someone about this recently who also doesn't like crowds, tight spaces, and noise. Um, and she said, oh, no, you, you mustn't do that. You're, you're, you're avoiding it. You need, you need mm. to confront it and mm. deal with it. Mm. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, there's, there's kind of interesting lessons for employers here about, you know, to what extent can you uh, adjust the way in which someone works so that they don't work in a way which makes them ill? Or to what extent do you want to uh, provide support and treatment, whether that be through an EAP or anything mm. like that, to try and... Mm confront these these cases head on if, if you know what I mean I think the one the one thing to be more positive <coughs> the one thing to be more positive is that what is is very clear to me is that a mentally healthy workplace gives people choice yeah. um, it gives it empowers people to make their own decisions mm-hmm. um, one of one of the, the really common themes to come out of all the research around this is that one of the worst things you can do for someone's mental health is to uh, put them in a position where they're not in control of their own workload, they're not yeah. in control of the way they're doing their work, they feel disenfranchised. Now, this, in my view, is not a new idea. Marx mm. was talking about the alienation of labour um, yes. best part of 150 years ago. Mm. Um, I think that, sure, you know, that was talking about very specific uh, uh, environments on, on, on production lines, but I think there are parallels today where if people are 
disconnected from the overall purpose of their job, that's not good for you. And I think that having a, a shared sense of purpose is one, one of the defining factors of a mentally healthy workplace, as much as such a thing exists. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Can I take you back to what you said a few sentences ago about... Um, about uh, you, you mentioned um, support and then um, a, 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 um, I think you mentioned adjustments as well. I'm just thinking about are those two things separate or are they the same thing? And how practically does a line manager distinguish or indeed should they distinguish between supporting or making adjustments for someone who is anxious in a situation or someone who has a, a, a mental health condition, which is long-term. Now, um, just to bring back to my fear of flying course, why that's relevant to the workplace is that um, I, I, was, I was very surprised, um, and, and perhaps I shouldn't have been so surprised, that when I went there, there were a lot of people in very high-performing professional roles and I mm. met a few con consultants from the professional services who said I keep overlooking um, opportunities to go abroad on, on a project or a contract because I'm so terrified of flying now um, everyone else you know other people in my team have been across a seas to do these projects and I haven't mm. um, so I think I mean to me as I was speaking to, to uh, one consultant there in in specifically, I was thinking, what is the role of the employer in providing support in, in this situation? Mm. Because this isn't necessarily an adjustment that is making, which is removing a barrier in someone's everyday work. Mm. But if we look at the broader context, what we have is, if I'm scared of flying, and I'm therefore not taking opportunities that, that my other team members have I don't have a disability or a, a, a long-term condition or even long-term mental health condition mm. so in terms of going through an adjustments process which is for people with a disability or long-term condition mm. I wouldn't in inverted commas or air quotes qualify yeah so what would you say to, to managers um who are in situations where they might need to, they might identify that someone's not taking up opportunities, but they can't see a reason for why that would be. Mm. It's interesting. I think um, I think that employees need need to offer both and let the individual decide. Mm. Um, I think what I would say is is that flying's an interesting example because if you're if if you need to work in Hong Kong there's really no alternative. You've yeah. got to get on a plane. You cannot spend two weeks on a boat, mm -hmm. um, as lovely as that might be. I'm, I, I doubt you can even get a boat from uh, uh, Southampton to Hong Kong. Um, that's, I think, in, in many ways, really very different from you know, a situation I mentioned. There, there are lots of ways of travelling around, to, even across London, that don't involve getting in a metal box with 200 people under the ground. Yeah. Um, so I think... Uh, I, th I think you, I, I, I might be misquoting you, but I think you asked in terms of, of the responsibilities of the employer, and mm -hmm. I think I'm a bit more pragmatic. It's about what's mm -hmm. okay. what what's practical. Yeah, um, okay. Now, it is a lot more practical to uh, travel above ground rather than underground, getting around London, uh, mm -hmm. than it is to get a boat halfway across the world. Yeah. 
in terms of responsibilities and what I say to managers, I mean, if someone's not taking up an opportunity because they can't fly, then that's a big missed opportunity for the business. Yeah. Um, the cost of a fear of flying course is what, a couple of hundred quid? Yeah. And if it works, you're, you're freeing up that person who presumably wants to be able to deliver work internationally in this example, um, to deliver much, much more value to the business. And I think with regards to these professional services firms, a couple of hundred quid, um, when you think about the value of their work that that person is gonna be doing overseas is pretty small change really. Mm. So. Mm. You know, does it matter whose responsibility it is? I mean, for, from a practical point of view, it's it's in everyone's interest. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think I'm I'm tempted to say sometimes I think it takes a, a skilled manager to 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 be proactive there because mm. um, someone I was speaking to there when I when I said to him, "Have you told your employer you're scared of flying?" He said, "No." So in in my mind that that requires a good manager to sort of have some <coughs> some way of of saying or noticing or picking up on this employee always turns down opportunities to go abroad mm. what's going on there and then in my mind the line manager that that should kickstart a process which is a conversation now wh- what's really interesting for us is that that conversation is not going to include well, probably not going to include mental health mm. that term it's probably not in going to include some of the words we've already spoken about which are mentally healthy mm. or healthy or well-being or adjustments or disability yet we are talking about supporting employees and mm. it goes back to what you were saying about firstly giving the putting the employee in, in a position where they are in control but but also um but also that this stuff is going to vary from person to person, so I so I really like that. Can I take you back to um, uh, what we were, um, what you touched on earlier mm. about um, the difference between um, uh, this term again, a mentally healthy workplace, yeah. and how a well-being agenda supports that, or even should it be supporting that? I guess, what is the relationship between supporting mental health in the workplace and a decent adjustments or wellbeing um, strategy? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I was thinking as you were talking that we're in danger of conflating two issues yeah. here. When we're talking about a mentally healthy workplace, we are, in my language, talking, we're talking about accessibility. We're talking about anticipating barriers that are common across a whole group of people and removing them. And I, you know, if, if I were to construct a mentally healthy workplace, I would focus on actually identifying what the problems are, removing the problems, rather than putting more stuff in. Um, that's quite different from uh, we're talking about um, uh, people fear flying, for example, which I think is much more, much, much more like making adjustments for individuals. I think the problem with putting too much stuff in rather than identifying barriers and removing them is that sometimes it can become part of the problem. Um, I think particularly, and uh, I'm thinking of of an example of of someone I know um, who works in a very kind of stereotypically high-powered profession, working working long hours, um, also has kids, um, which is another huge pressure in your time. I wouldn't know, I don't have kids. Um, And has a very, very, very busy life and actually... uh, they, they feel that their mental health is suffering from not having enough breathing space, not having enough sleep. 
Now, going to a mindfulness workshop or doing some breathing exercises or going to the gym or doing something on top of all of that is not going to resolve that issue. And I think that, you know, sometimes I see in, in people I've, I've worked with, there's it becomes a, a fairly addictive cycle, actually. If someone someone's very, very busy in a way that's, that's unhealthy to them, uh, then they can almost kind of go looking for, oh, I just need to do something else. I need, I need to do something else more that will make me more able to deal with this whole, this whole busyness. And I think mm-hmm. there's some, sometimes this, a well-being agenda that, that is, uh, or a, a, a mentally healthy workplace plan that is focused on adding in gym membership and yoga classes at lunchtime and that kind of thing can kind of encourage that behavior in that it encourages mm. people to think um i can't cope so i need to do something more to make me better at coping well actually it might be that you can't cope because you're doing too much yeah that's really interesting and this might be um it might be relevant to the conversation, but also it could exist outside of this conversation as well, which reminds me of when I used to work with disabled students in university. And um, one of the students once said to me, um, it's hard work being disabled. Mm. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And, um, and she said to me, well, I have my degree. And just like everyone else, I have to go to the library. I have to do my um, coursework. I have to do the reading. And then... As part of my adjustments, I have to go to this course. Yeah, I have to yeah. arrange. I have to fill out my di- my disabled students' allowance forms. I have to go and see the disabled the disability advisor. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And then there's this this, this support um, uh, disabled student support network as well, which I'm encouraged to go to. That's that's two hours a month. Mm. So there's loads of support, but support takes time. Yeah. Um, and and that was really interesting because. We had, and when we started asking other students, we found that actually, how, how do we support, give not just support and you know, throw, um, provide different things for, to to support people, but what does effective support look like given the lifestyles of of those students with disabilities? And it's yeah. similar to what you're saying in the sense of if you've got someone in in a role where they are. When they are busy, they have a lot to do, they have long days. Um, how, how does a lot of other stuff, mm. um, which might come from, for example, a wellbeing initiative, actually help um, yeah. with that? And that's interesting. I've seen some interesting um, stuff come from law firms mm-hmm. where they've specifically looked at what is the tough stuff? in our organisation that makes this profession and this profession in specifically in our organisation yeah. difficult. Yeah. And what what's and, and when they started looking at some of those some of that difficult stuff, exactly as you said, Chris, they were finding things like, well actually some of our lawyers sometimes go home very late at night after waiting up for a call at midnight mm. uh, about something very important and then they have to be back in the office at seven in the morning. Now, how can we, if, if we are going to, in our wellbeing um, initiatives, if we have something which is, you know, how to get a good night's sleep and we say get at least eight hours and stuff like that, that's just not, it's just not practical mm. for our profession. So we need to look at things that are, that are going to work for, for the lifestyle of our employees. So, yeah. so that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So... 
I, can I come back to the spectrum again? Because that was really interesting. So you yeah. spoke about this, this spectrum of um, mental health and, and you said, um, remind me, so you said about um, there's a, there, some people see this as a spectrum, mm. but you think that that's not always appropriate? Yeah, I think the problem with talking in terms of a, of a mental health spectrum, which is becoming more and more common... And, and has been effective in, in a way of, of kind of uh, making it more normal, I suppose, making people be, be, being comfortable talking in terms of their mental health. It's something we've all got, we sit on a spectrum. The problem is that spectrum sounds very linear to me. Yeah. And mental health is huge. We're talking yeah. about masses and masses of stuff. I mean, it's, it's more like a cloud than, yeah. than a spectrum. The way in which someone with a schizophrenic illness is affected by their mental health is completely different yes. from someone with yeah. depression, yeah. completely different mm. from someone with an anxiety disorder, completely different from someone with obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Um, I mean, the list, the list goes on. Mm. Um, and I think, I, I, I wonder if when, when we talk about making a, men, a, a mentally healthy workplace, we can, we can be guilty of, of focusing on... on just stress and depression. And stress yeah. and depression are not the same things. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they are themselves two, two different things. But, you know, to be blunt, the schizophrenics don't get a look in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's hundreds of thousands of people out there with personality disorders yeah. who are just left completely cold um, by yeah. all this mental health, but they're just not mentions. Yeah. Um, that's a problem. I think. I think that's that's the next step. Really. Yeah, I think that's important. And I came back to that because um, when I ask organisations what what strategies they have to um, help line managers man- mental health in the workplace, sometimes that I'm sent a wellbeing policy mm. or something like that. So I think that's really important in terms of you know you know sometimes um, stress, for example, can be long term and mm. sometimes it can be acute and sometimes very short term. The same with depression, we can feel low sometimes, and in addition, some people can have depression for a short time, and then others have a long-term condition of depression as well. So I think, I like your um, explanation of of the spectrum or not, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, it's it's something, when I see um, the mention of uh, organisations talking about um, the spectrum of mental health in policies, which I, I have seen a couple of times, I, I do often challenge that and ask them to break that down and explain mm. to me, you know, how are they communicating this to a workforce where, as you said, Chris, um, will include people with personality disorders, uh, long-term depression, generalised anxiety disorders, and also people who get stressed at work. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, the way I've... Uh, discuss this with people in the past is that you, know, you could talk you could talk about a spectrum of physical health mm. but on the one hand you've got people who are really really healthy and fit yeah. and on the other hand you've got people who are at death's door mm. but actually well why don't we do that well firstly um it tells you nothing about that person's experience or let alone what that person needs and also i think being told that you're at you know the bad end of the spectrum yeah. is in itself kind of stigma reinforcing mm. mm-hmm. there's a difference there's a, there's a very clear difference in terms of physical health between a disability and being ill. Being blind, 
doesn't mean that you're unwell. Having diabetes doesn't mean you're unwell. Yeah. I think that's a better example. I'm going to be really controversial and suggest that having schizophrenia does not make you unwell. You can be unwell with schizophrenia, yeah. where the, the symptoms mm. aren't managed, but that's much, much, that's much like you can be unwell with diabetes. It, it is a serious and very real condition. You can also have a perfectly well-managed condition. doesn't mean it's not real, doesn't mean it's gone away, but it does mean you're not ill. Yeah. Um, and that could be through medication, or it could be through people's lifestyle I don't like talking about lifestyle choices it has all kinds of connotations but it it could be to it could be yeah. to do with uh, the way in which someone very intentionally lives their life and of you know of the friends that I have with serious schizophrenic schizophrenic illnesses um apart from the ones who aren't very well um I'll actually in some ways just just if it doesn't sound too rude incredibly together because yes, they've yeah, they've got to be yeah. And um, very conscious of the amount of exercise they do and the amount of, uh, you know, their diet and, and avoiding certain, you know, sometimes some of them might avoid drink. Not all of them will. But again, that's, that's a very personal journey that someone goes to and, and mm. kind of feeds into the original point. That actually, what is healthy for one person is, is different, yeah. different for another. And, it's, you know, tying that back in with, with the kind of well-being initiatives that, that have become quite commonplace... Doing a mindfulness session over lunch is not really going to make a huge difference to someone who's halfway through a 10-year course of psychotherapy. Yeah. It's, mm. it, it's a different world. Yeah. And when I'm in my, one of my more flippant moods, I, I say, you know, this is, this is the equivalent of, of encouraging blind people to eat carrots. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not going to do them any harm, but actually you're completely missing the point. Yeah. I think what you're saying is... is um actually really important as you were talking it reminded me um in in hr just sort of well pre-equality act so pre-2010 um as as you know and many of our listeners will know um there is uh it's now um there are restrictions on the the way you ask and also um whether or not you ask Hmm. about disability and health related conditions (coughs) um uh, prior to job uh, offer of a job, um, offering um, employment. Now, before those restrictions came in, um, we used to send out very extensive health questionnaires, and there was even you, your own, um, you know, mental health conditions were in a. They weren't even with the health and disability questions. They were in a whole. Di- they <laughs> they were, had their own slot. They were right next to CRB checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and and any it was it was an automatic sort of um, process mm. to occupational health. Um, if if those boxes were ticked and um, and it, it reminded me what you were saying when um, you know some people with diagnosed mental health conditions can actually be very together. And it remind <laughs> it it reminded me of you know given that experience of working in HR and just seeing mental health on a page and then going oh this person needs support mm-hmm. um, let's 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 whisk them off to the occupational health okay so we we've spoken about some really interesting things a lot of um, a, a few different topics there as well um, so I'm I'm just thinking in terms of this is World Mental Health Day, and we're talking about um, mental health in the workplace. Now, a lot of employers we work with, they want to be an employer of choice mm. for um, 
for everyone. Um, and so I'm just thinking about for the employers who want to be inclusive, um, as, as inclusive as possible, including to people with mental health conditions, for example, mm. um, what should what should employers be doing? What what's what's the next thing in this space for employers who want to be innovative? What should they be thinking about right now? What's the next big thing? I mean, it's very risky uh, making predictions about what the next big thing is in a, in a corded <laughs> format, which someone could listen to in two years' time and go, "What the hell was he on?" Yeah. <laughs> I think there's there's a push one and a pull one. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think what employers are. are needing to start to think about and increasingly doing so uh, is something which no one wants to talk about um, and every 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 employer I've spoken to about this goes yes we get this all the time we really really need help with this but uh, if you don't mind me saying just too embarrassed to bring it up um, and that is simply where mental health might intersect with interpersonal relationships workplace behaviours, mm. in some cases behaviour and conduct issues where someone may frankly uh, be behaving in an inappropriate way in the workplace in a way that is uh, linked in some way to their mental health. Now that can be all kinds of things and it isn't even just mental health. I think you know a, a lot of the work in that space now is, is around conditions like autism as well, for example. Um, it could be that if someone's in distress and feeling anxious and actually regulating your emotions and the way you communicate with other people around you is harder. Um, it could be that you know, if someone's, um, if someone's got borderline personality disorder, for example, that has a very tangible effect on interpersonal relationships. Mm. Um, and some people are better at managing that than others. And I think that employer, employers have a role in supporting employees in, in learning how to manage that, really. So learning how to manage that, what does that look like? Are we saying more training? Are we saying more skills-based training? Are we, are we talking about training for line managers or just some kind of um, skills training for colleagues to work together in an increasingly diverse workforce? What's your advice there? Three things, really. Um, I think the thing that I firstly want to say is, it is it's, it's, it's not okay for people to be behaving inappropriately in the workplace. Um, and I think that that's that's worth clarifying. Um, actually, if 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 someone is behaving in a way which is um, upsetting, distressing, rightly upsetting, distressing to other people, whether that's a result of mental health condition or not, that that's got to be managed. Um, the ways of doing that are possibly some work around a general inclusive culture, em em empathy building for the whole team. Certainly, some work with line managers uh, to look at. Uh, ways in which you can either identify and remove the triggers of this behaviour or manage the effects of it. Um, and I think also some work with the individual to, to, to support them um, in, a, in a, you know, supportive but sometimes, let's be honest, a firm way, saying actually this, this needs to change and we want to help you change it. Um, and we want, to, we, we, we want to help you reach your full potential. Um, yeah, and, and I think with, with line managers, it's, it's not just about identifying, it's about knowing what to do as a result. I think what, one of my, my pet peeves is a lot of the mental health uh, work out there seems to suggest that all you've got to do is identify a problem and have a conversation about it and it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's a third piece there, which is you know, not reinventing the wheel, we're making adjustments. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is that the skills line managers need are the uh, insight and empathy to identify when a problem is occurring. Um, the 
empathetic listening skills to actually have that conversation with the individual and then just cold hard problem solving skills to identify actually what is causing this how can we fix it um, and even if we can't remove the causes can we put in anything to mitigate the effects um, so you know causes can be anything from you know, changes to physical environment something I've come across a lot is changes to the way in which an individual might receive feedback for example Someone, if someone struggles um, receiving feedback in a face-to-face -face environment with, with their manager, is there another way they can receive that feedback from their manager? Would they prefer it in writing? So, someone I was talking to recently prefers it over the phone um, mm. just because they're more comfortable talking to the manager over the phone than face-to-face. -face. I think that's okay, I mean, if it, gets, if it gets the job done. Managing the effects, I think one of the most powerful things you can do is just give someone permission almost to remove themselves from a situation where they know they're going to to react badly. Now, that isn't always going to be possible in all situations. If someone, if someone works on a reception desk, they can't go disappearing for two hours because then, then they wouldn't be able to do their job. But in most office environments, people can kind of take a step back. Mm -hmm. Other things I've seen work quite well are things like kind of um, like safe words almost, uh, mm, where yeah. it's kind of agreed in advance. Like, if this happens, what can I say to you which will help you identify that it's happening yourself? So that's between the manager and, and, and the employee, um, which, you know, by being pre-agreed pre almost, you know you're not going to offend and upset the person, and it can kind of cut through a lot of the, the noise, I, I, I suppose, without getting heated. So that term you use then, pre-agreed, are you saying that this is a conversation, and a, or um, air quotes again, a, an agreement that is made in advance of that happening. So when the employee is, for want of a better term, air quotes again, well, um, that's when that conversation should happen. What do you mean by pre-agreed? Um, yes, when, when, when they're well, in yeah. practice, okay. um, you're, it, 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 it may well be after something's gone wrong, but then the conversation after it's gone wrong is rather than, this is, this, this is you, you've been naughty, I'm going to have to tell you off. Mm. The conversation is, how can we stop this from happening again? And I think that's, that, if, if you're able to have that conversation in a constructive way, that is the time to kind of pre-agree those, those, those responses. Mm. So, okay. yeah, men, mental health and, and the way it can affect people's uh, workplace behaviours is yeah. the next big thing that employers are going to need to worry about whether they like or not. Yeah. Um, okay. Not least of all, this is something where there's been a, a, a growing body of very interesting case law in the last 18 mm. months, two years, which is, is getting, getting noticed, if nothing else. I think emotionally intelligent communication. Emotionally intelligent communication. But I think that part of that is about confidence building. Because what mm. I hear time and again from the organisations I've been working with is that managers do not want to have this conversation. Um, which is ultimately just makes it harder in the long run because it's going to have to come eventually and, it's, and the, the earlier that happens, the easier. Um, and I think also what's, what's really worrying um, is that in some workplace I've, I've come across a, a perception at line management level that actually this person's behaving badly but that's okay because they've got a mental health problem. That's not good for the individual experiencing mental ill health because ultimately... It is torpedoing their career because you, you are never going to get promoted if you have a reputation of being um, difficult to be around, frankly. Um, well, maybe in some organisations you would, but anyway. Um, <coughs> it's also not fair on the rest of the team. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, that it, 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 
that kind of environment, to go back to your first question about what makes a mentally healthy workplace, a kind of environment where people are not behaving in the right way is bad for people's well-being. Okay. And it, it can become um, systemic. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's a really nice place to end. That, I, 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 I thought I had two. Oh, okay. And you only gave me one. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep the second one brief. I've written three things down. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> that's good. T- tell me. <laughs> what are the next things? <laughs> uh, this, my, my second next big thing yeah. uh, is, and it, it's, it, we've spoken about it already, really, so I'll keep it brief. It's, it's this question about whether we're talking about a spectrum or we're talking yeah. about, about a yeah. cloud. Okay. And I, I, I think what I'm very conscious of is that a lot of the mental health and well-being work out there is focusing on stress, depression, anxiety. Yeah. And there's good reason for that. They, they are probably the most pressing issues in terms of retention and productivity amongst existing staff. But from a kind of uh, social policy perspective, uh, we, we know that disabled people generally are twice as likely to be out of work than non-disabled people. Uh, there are certain mental health conditions where you are 10 times more likely than that to be out of work as a result of your mental health, uh, as a result of your mental health condition. I don't think that needs to be the case. Um, and I think that the next, the next big thing for employers who really, really want to be lead, leading on this is to actually uh, think more about those untapped talent pools. And, and I think that the benefits of society that are immeasurable. Um, obviously, you get good people to work for you. That's a good thing. Those individuals' health outcomes increase massively when people are employed. Mm-hmm. And of course, from a kind of... Uh, government perspective they get to save money on benefits as well i think it's i, I think ev- ev- everyone can win from that and i've been saying this a while and i think that i still come across a lot of skepticism and i think all i'd say is you know it was not long ago at all that people were saying there's no way that someone with autism could work mm. and we now know that's not true yeah and I've been, I've been in a meeting with someone who, who uh, was mentioning no names, in, in a senior position uh, in, in an organisation that works on the employment of disabled people and people with mental health conditions. And I was saying this to him a couple of years ago now, that actually I think that the, the, the next big thing is this, this whole area of um, personality disorders, which is... Uh, you know the, the the Cinderella area of the Cinderella area of of, of mental health, and it's, it's much more similar to disability in that it's something that's much more innate in a person. It's not something you can receive treatment. It's not an illness. It's a disability. I mean, I remember to this day he 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 looked at me and said, "Yeah, but you know, have you ever met anyone with borderline personality disorder?" Because there's a reason why they're not working, and I think that's that's really mm-hmm. worrying. I think mm-hmm. um, that's a massive assumption, and it's yeah. it's unfair. Okay, yeah. Well, I have to say goodbye now, Chris. <laughs> Thank right. you ever so much for, for joining me um, for <coughs> a very interesting conversation. So I think from my perspective, um, that uh, my closing comments would be, um, I mean, the, the things that I'm taking away are, first of all, for organisations to, to um, recognise that in order to identify barriers, um, they, they need to look at the individual in front of them um, and that individual or that situation might not be 
use words such as adjustments, disability, mental health, well-being, or the name of a condition. And Chris also said about the importance of emotionally intelligent communication. So that's communication for line managers with employees, communication within the wider team, and also communicating with with individuals, individuals who need support. I'm very interested in this um, potential debate that is coming up, um, which Christopher spoke to us about, about the spectrum mental health in the workplace and I guess my closing sort of question to leave employers with really would be to think about what is mental health for your organisation and what, what, how do your policies support that inclusive culture that you, that you want to um, advance and achieve for your um, employer brand for want of a better phrase. And then lastly, what is it to be well in your organisation, given the type of organisation you are? And I think when we look at uh, what Christopher has spoken about in terms of communication, empathy building, identifying barriers, but maybe different language uses with it whilst you're trying to identify those barriers... I think there's a lot for employers to think about at a strategic level, but then actually at quite an operational level when they are looking at how to fuel their um, learning and development programmes, training for managers, training for teams and individuals as well. So um, as I said earlier, we'd love to hear from you. So please contact us, email us, telephone us or tweet us. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.